The Greeks would tell the story of a mighty giant named Antaeus. His strength was unmatched by any other man, but he was no gentle giant. In fact, his very name in the Greek meant hostile, and he lived up to the reputation. He would regularly force travelers passing through his land to compete with him in a wrestling match to the death. And he would inevitably win. He would overwhelm them with his strength and he would then use their skulls to construct the roof of a temple there that was devoted to his family. And as legend had it, well, one day another hero to the Greeks named Hercules came by. He encountered the mighty giant. And of course, well, Hercules, he was no slouch. (laughs) He was a, a pretty fine warrior himself, but Antaeus would not back down. He challenged him to this same life or death wrestling match. Well, Hercules, he... He proved to be a worthy opponent. He was able to defend each one of Antaeus' attacks, and he would then body slam him to the ground. And yet, it seemed to have no effect on the mighty giant. In fact, rather than weakening him, each time Antaeus was thrown to the ground, it only seemed to rejuvenate his strength and his energy. You see... Antaeus's mother, as it was said, was Gaia, who was said to be the Greek goddess of the earth. And so the mythology taught that she was the source of Antaeus's mighty strength. And so every, every night, he would sleep in the dirt to conserve his already increasing his strength his legendary might. And whenever he touched the earth then, that strength would be rejuvenated in him. And so Hercules, in jeopardy of suffering the same fate as all of Antaeus's other victims, well, he, he quickly had to revise his strategy. And so he began to hold him high up in the air rather than throwing him to the ground. He would hold him up above his head until the strength was drained out of the mighty giant and then he could easily be defeated. And the Greek legend wasn't only a story just to explain their their strange mythological world, but it was also to teach the lesson that anyone is capable of falling if they ever become disconnected from their source of strength. And Peter, now in his second letter, is really going to give Christians this same kind of warning. For if we don't keep Jesus at the ground level of our Christian lives, are really going to lack power. And we will become susceptible to strain from this life that God really has for us. And so the main purpose of Peter writing this letter would be to encourage us to stay steadfast in our faith, not getting distracted by by meaningless pursuits 
or even fooled into believing that God isn't who he says he is. In, in fact, throughout the short letter, you'll hear Peter refer many times to these false teachers. And they were actually trying to pull people away from God. And so Peter's solution to such a threat was that we must be proactive in our faith so that we may never become disconnected from our power source. He sums it up real well in verse five. He says, make every effort to add to your faith. You see, there's gonna be some effort involved. And the idea of putting forth effort towards those things that, that are most meaningful for us, I think is probably fairly intuitive to a lot of areas of our life, right? I mean, most of us probably wouldn't assume to become a great musician by just sitting, simply sitting back and enjoying the music. We understand that in order to become good, well, it takes a lot of practice on an instrument. I mean, I don't know anybody who has only ever just rocked the air guitar and then been, been you know, confused that they couldn't play the real thing. Or we would never assume to be able to run something like, say, a, a marathon without first really putting in the time to, to practice and train for such an event. I mean, if we didn't, we would, we would probably end up a little bit embarrassed. We may even have to fake the hamstring injury. Have you seen that done, right? That's where like you're running along and you realize I'm in trouble here. I don't know if I'm gonna make it, right? And so you pull up. Oh, oh, oh man, I really wish I could finish this race, but I pulled a hammy. And so we understand that to really increase our ability in something, well, it normally is going to take some effort on our part. And yet when it comes to our spiritual lives, you know, a lot of times we can often fall prey to the thinking that spiritual growth just sort of happens by default. But that is rarely the case. In fact, when we are intentional about putting forth the effort and becoming really grounded in our faith, a lot of times we can even experience a, a little bit of spiritual atrophy. In fact, Peter in this first chapter, he sort of describes this as being the core issue in being susceptible to these false teachers that he'll mention and from straying from God. So listen to what he says here. We're gonna begin in verse three. This morning, we're gonna read a large chunk of it, all right? And dissect some of his phrases. In fact, if you got your Bibles here this morning, these are some phrases that I have underlined in my Bible. If you wanna underline, if you wanna highlight in your Bible, uh, do so. It's not sacrilegious, all right? It's a good thing, it's all right. All right, beginning in verse three. Peter writes, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all this by coming to know him, 
the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. And the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. In other words, they're forgetting that they have this new life to live. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. And then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Peter uses some of these, these key phrases in there while encouraging us to stay steadfast in our faith. One of those in which he mentions is a divine power there in verse 1. See, just as Antaeus had a specific power source to draw from that enabled him to always rejuvenate himself, so too we as Christians are able to tap into this divine power that rejuvenates our spirit, that enables us even to live this God-sized life. My, uh, my first car that I ever drove when I was 16 was a little Chevy S10 pickup truck. And um, it ran for a long time. It, it accrued a lot of miles on it. And towards the end of my time with the truck, the starter began to go bad. That's what actually, you know, like fires up the engine when you turn the key. Only it hadn't gone completely bad it worked most of the time, just not all of the time. So it was a little like playing, you know, like car key roulette. Just hoping, you know, that your luck wouldn't run out this day. And me, well, being the daredevil that I am, I just kept driving around like that for quite a while before I ever bothered to get it fixed. And you know, I could still get from place to place. However, it did affect the way that I would drive. See, it was a, a manual transmission, and so it had a clutch. And so I could get it started without the starter by getting the truck rolling. And then I would quickly, you know, let my foot off the clutch and it would lurch in the first gear and, and turn over the engine, right? It's, how, it's what we would often call popping the clutch. That was my backup plan if the starter were to fail. 
Only it meant that I had to be very strategic about where I would park the truck and when I would turn it off. And so if I had to go someplace, maybe the store, well, you could often find me just sort of circling the block, looking for that slight downward hill to park on, right? Where there would be nothing directly in front of me, just in case I had to get the truck rolling and started under my own power. I think a lot of times we can live that way. We have this divine power available to us, and at times we might tap into it, even being reminded of the greatness of God. And yet, other times just sort of bypassing it altogether. Choosing instead to try to get things started under our own power. I was just sort of reflecting on this um, just over this last week for myself as I was reading through Second Peter here. And I don't know if you can relate at all, but for me, for myself, who tends to be a bit of a worrier, and I feel um, the most comfortable feeling really in control of a situation. It was a little bit of a disheartening feeling for me to, to consider just how often I probably bypass God to do things under my own power. In fact, if I could hold just a little bit of a confessional here this morning. I, I would tell you, again, I don't know if you can relate at all, but because of my perfectionism that sometimes I'll deal with, it will often keep me from turning to God first. Because somewhere in the deep recesses of my mind, you know, I actually believe I think I can do things better. And before you scream heretic at me, all right, don't we all believe that at times? I mean, for example, even with prayer, many of us here probably sincerely believe that God hears prayers and that he answers our prayer. But you know, if you've been praying for long, well, you've probably figured out that God doesn't always answer those prayers the way that we feel he should. In fact, most of the time when we pray about a situation in our life, we don't often say, God, would you just, would you just do something here? We don't do that, do we? No. We say, do this. That's the prayer. And it may be because, well, sometimes we feel that we know best. In fact, if God were to do something that maybe we gave no prayer towards, well, we might often think, God, I wish you would have consulted me on that first. I think I uh, may have had a better solution. I don't know. So you can see our our tendency to look towards ourself first rather than first looking towards God. And Peter's point is that we shortchange our spiritual life, our growth, 
when we aren't proactive in our faith by tapping in to God's divine power first. After all, Peter even says in there that God is giving us everything we need for living a godly life. So you see, there's never any reason he would say not to turn to God first. In fact, I I think that one of the greatest spiritual habits we could probably get into is just simply looking towards God, making him our first step in anything that we would encounter. Imagine if in any situation, any decision we might have, trial we encounter, if we were to always consult God first. I mean, imagine what that might do. How would that change the way we feel? What we do? Certainly, how we assess even the situation. When I was younger and I played baseball, I was an outfielder. And um, when teaching us how to properly field a fly ball, the coaches would always tell us that our first step should be one step back. That was to become our habit. Because otherwise our tendency in in our excitement was just, you know, it was always to just begin sprinting forward, which made it very difficult to accurately judge the height and the distance of the ball. And so the most important step was always, of course, the first step. And if we too can get into the habit of making our first step towards God, we'll find ourselves more often depending on him as our source of strength. And not only that, but it will rejuvenate our faith as a result. Divine power. Another important phrase that Peter would say in there is coming to know him. Now it's important to note that Peter doesn't use this phrase coming to know him um, because he's speaking of like the one time event of salvation. Because sometimes we'll use the phrase that way, right? We'll say, I came to know Christ when I was 18 years old which is when I accepted him as my savior, I committed my life to him. But Peter uses this present tense form of the word knowing to the process of knowing someone more by going deeper in relationship with them. And of course, this is always the goal of our faith to grow closer in relationship with God. If you've been here at Journey for any amount of time, you've probably got a little used to hearing this. I I wouldn't doubt that some form of a relationship with God has been one of our sermon points for like the last several years. (laughs) It's, It's what we're always going to stress because it's what Jesus teaches. But for Peter... The idea of being in relationship with God was a really important distinction to make. In his letter, 
if you're to read it all the way through, it's just three chapters long, I would encourage you to read it all the way through. And one of the things that you're going to notice is that he will intentionally use that word knowledge quite often throughout those three chapters. And it's because he's playing off of a prevalent belief of the false teachers at the time. He's playing off of the idea that that they were advertising, for they claimed to have a special knowledge of God. And if you wanted to know the secret to life, well, then you would have to come to them to help you unlock the special knowledge. It was, it was a really good sales pitch because, I mean, of course, well, who wouldn't want to unlock the secret to a great life, right? It, it just sort of, you know, you could say it applied to everybody. I would imagine that it was much like um, some of the, the advertisements that we would hear in our day, some of those appeals, you know, the type where the advertising voice asks you a question because the answer is normally pretty obvious. Like, have you ever woken up with minor aches and pains? Well, you know, as a matter of fact, yeah, regularly, right? Or have you ever felt discouraged about the way things are going in life? Well, you know, now that, I, now that you mention it, I do feel a little down sometimes, right? Or this one I, I really like. Do you ever wish that you had more energy and were more productive? <laughs> I've always thought that. And then, of course, always comes the hook. Well, then, have we got a secret to share with you. For only $59.99. And then, of course, they would claim that you can't find anything like this anywhere else. And that's what the false teachers were doing to the people. And it was all under the umbrella of having this special knowledge that the only they had access to. And so Peter's now using that code word that they would use, knowledge but he's putting it in terms of a relationship with God, not simply of learning some helpful information about him. Because although information about God is always a really great thing, transformation, not information, is the goal of our Christian life. In fact, you probably notice as we through that, that scripture in the first chapter there, you probably notice that Peter, when he speaks of making an effort to add to our faith, he even mentions some practical areas in which we should strive to grow, right? They were uh, such things as moral goodness, self-control, patience, love, among some of the other things that he listed in there. And all of those things are really great moral traits to strive for. I mean, we could probably do some some great in-depth studies on some of those traits. But the real reason that Peter would even bring those things up is because all of those things are simply a reflection of God's character. And the best way 
to experience and grow in God's character is through a relationship with him. Now, that shouldn't be surprising to us because don't we know this to be true even of our own human relationships? I mean, listen, for good or bad, you know, you have spent so much of your life living and spending time with your parents that my guess is you probably had to catch yourself before. Oh, no. I sound just like my mother. Right? Or maybe it's your dad. But it's because of that relationship that you've had with them. Sometimes it can even be a, a friend that you would love and admire It's so interesting that close friends will sometimes begin to think in similar ways. They'll begin to share the same kind of vocabulary, even develop sometimes the same kind of mannerisms. I mean, I can't can't tell you how often I hear others say, you know, Brent, Ron reminds me so much of you. That's funny because I've never actually heard that. Um, <laughs> I, always, I always get told um, about all the similarities that I have with Ron. And so, you know, just once, I'd love to hear someone say to him, Ron, you know, you made such a great choice in modeling yourself after Brent. I'd be just saying, it would be, it'd be nice. <laughs> but the longer that we journey in relationship with God, well, the more likely we are then to grow to be like him. But such an effort always takes, or such a relationship always takes effort. It just, it doesn't normally happen by default. And so another great way to be proactive in our faith is again, to begin to view everything through this lens of a relationship with God. The best example that I could think of with this would probably be with a spouse. Maybe if you were to be uh, like go and, and make a big purchase without them. And so you might likely consider, I wonder how my wife is going to feel when I bring home this motorcycle, (laughs) right? Or a better example might be, I wonder how my wife is gonna feel when I bring home this bouquet of flowers. And so in both of those things, we would be beginning to view our decisions through that lens of relationship with our spouse. How will this affect my relationship with them. And I believe that we're to likewise begin to view our life through this spiritual lens. And so we would always consider, how will this affect my relationship with God? Another phrase that Peter uses there is, work hard to prove in verse 10. And Peter doesn't say it because our relationship or our salvation with God ever has to be earned. We never have to prove that we've earned it because the Lord knows. I mean, we will never cross that finish line. 
what Peter's referring to is that our faith should at least be evident. And so let me give you a, a question to maybe wrestle with this morning. Maybe it's throughout the week. If you currently believe in God, if that's you in here this morning, and for whatever reason, imagine that you suddenly stopped believing in him. Would your life then drastically change? In other words, if you have a deep faith in God, does your life look much different than the lives of unbelieving people around you? See, that's what Peter is really getting at here. That our faith in God should be evident by the way that we live. Because our faith as Christians lie in something other than what the rest of the world would put their faith in. But again, there's some effort involved in living differently. That's why Peter would say, work hard to prove. And it's always hard to say in a sermon exactly what that effort may be for each person here this morning. Right? Because we always, we're all going to find ourselves at different points in our relationship with God. But would you consider this this morning? What step, what step can I take to proactively grow in my faith in such a way that it will affect the way that I live? For some, maybe it's that point of salvation where you would, for the first time, commit your life to Jesus. You would believe him to be your savior. For others, maybe it's taking that initial step of baptism where you would publicly declare, this is what my life is committed to. We're actually gonna celebrate some baptisms this next Sunday. Um, and so if you believe that this is your next step, you can let us know on one of your connection cards and we'll follow up with you. Maybe that's what you need to do. You can even do it this next week. If you've never developed the habit, it may be regularly reading your Bible, even if that means just for starting with like a few minutes each day. Your next step could be spending more consistent time in prayer, developing that closer relationship with God. You may need to get into a small group, begin to study the Bible, connect with some other believers. Maybe it's that you would begin serving in ministry to not just be sort of a, a spiritual consumer, but to begin to give spiritually as well. You could do that through ministry. You can also give uh, by tithing part of your income. The Bible would challenge us to do that and God would challenge us to do so and talk so often about money because that's probably the best way to tell what it is that we're truly trusting in our life is what we're doing with our money. And so maybe that's your next step is just beginning to tithe part of your income. Maybe for you it's, it's being obedient to that one thing that God's been laying on your heart for quite some time now. 
Maybe it's beginning to share your faith, your story with others. Whatever that next step may be for you in your faith, it's important to really consider that, try to identify that so that we can begin to to add fuel to our spiritual fire. We will often at, at church, or I would say even in the Christian world, we will often relate our spiritual lives to fire. You ever notice that? I don't know. It's just sort of like some Christian lingo that we, that we pick up along the way. We might say, oh, I am just really on fire for the Lord right now. Right? And that is to be a good thing. Because it means that our spiritual lives are, are big and, and burning hot. Reminds me that I love a good campfire. For me, like it's one of the, it's one of the best parts of summer. And I am what would probably be considered a fire stoker. This is the kind of person who doesn't have the ability to just sit back and enjoy the fire. I always have to be tinkering with it in some way. So I'm the guy with the poker stick in hand, just always monitoring making sure that those logs are getting evenly burned on all sides. Some of you in here also may have this condition. We might begin a support group after church, all right? We'll have signups. And as a fire stoker, will you start to, to challenge yourself to make the fire even bigger? And better. You might even begin starting fires with some different methods. Because, you know, a lighter or a match just seems way too easy. I mean, for us, it almost feels like cheating. You know, if we see someone start a fire with like a crumpled up newspaper and a match, we immediately think, rookie. Now, what I like to do when I'm, when I'm backpacking especially or maybe even camping is, is I like to use sticks of magnesium and you take your knife, right, and you slide it down and it creates this spark and you hope that it throws a little spark that will hit that kindling that you've, that you've piled up and, and it'll begin that fire. And so you're striking that, that magnesium, that stick. And after anywhere from you know, say one to 10 hours, you finally get one of those sparks <laughs> to hit right where you're trying to land it on the kindling there. <laughs> and, you, and you see a little bit of smoke. And then you have this very small window of opportunity. And you begin like a, like a madman, you know, flip, fanning that, that spark, that smoke that's hit. And that kindling that you've piled up Man, it burns up fast. And so you quickly then have to begin adding some fuel to that fire, first in the form of some larger sticks. And then you'll work your way up to some larger chunks of wood. And when you look at this spiritual fire set within us, that initial spark that causes ignition 
is belief. It's the moment that we come to faith by accepting Jesus as our Savior, and we commit our life to him. And if you've ever had your faith ignited in such a way, you, you may remember the feeling of that. Oh, it was so exciting. And with that initial belief, normally comes this desire to grow quickly. Like a spark consuming the kindling. You were quick to consume whatever spiritual fuel you may have had available to you. And if there's no spiritual fuel available, that belief, that spark, well, it burns bright and hot for only a short amount of time before you get kind of burned out on the idea of knowing and following God. And that's why it's so important to consider what our next step of faith may be. Or as Peter would put it, how can we be adding to our faith? And by always then seeking this spiritual fuel, well, we never burn out. Or as Peter would even put it in verse 10, listen, you do these things and you will never fall away. And so if I were to just sort of uh, package up like this, this first chapter, these points and sort of a to-go bag, it would be this, that a proactive faith, one in which we're staying connected to our very source of strength, which is God, is one where we depend on his divine power. Where with any decision or life situation, we make our first step towards God, developing that habit. It's when we would come to know him more and more, which enables us then to begin viewing life through this lens of a growing relationship with God. How will this affect my relationship with him? And when we have a proactive faith, well, then we work hard to prove. And we do that by always seeking to add this spiritual fuel to our faith. What may our next step in faith be? This morning during communion, you can consider those things. Maybe you would speak to God about what your next step may be. Here at Journey, we uh, take communion every week. It's this opportunity for us to be reminded and celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. All enabling us to have this relationship through which we would be saved. And so we take this, this cracker and this juice, which reminds us of Jesus' body and his blood. And he told us to do this, to eat this, to drink this in remembrance of him. So this morning, we celebrate that. And as you do that, speak to God about these things. Where might you find yourself on your journey of faith? What habits do you need to build into life? Or what spiritual fuel do you need to take the next step towards? 
let me pray, then you can go and grab communion. We'll do a song afterwards, and then Ron's gonna come back up and uh, pray us out as a blessing. Lord, we, we thank you for the faith in which you spark within us. And God, we pray that there may even be fuel added to that fire. That this morning, even during this time of communion, as we spend some time just reflecting and speaking to you, God, we pray, Lord, that you would challenge us maybe in our next steps. And maybe if we would come to you this morning and maybe a little unsure of that next step, God, would you speak to us? Not only today, maybe it's over the coming weeks. Would we begin adding to our faith, growing closer and closer in relationship with you? And so, Lord, we love you. And we spend some, just some time reflecting, God. We would, as we always like to say, that you would use this time to speak to us and work in our lives. In your name, amen.